Everything changed. Everything changed in the entire cosmos on that resurrection morning. Everything changed for you and me. Everything changed for everybody who would ever live on that morning. The morning that we read about here, one of the gospel accounts, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early. And it shows you the great love that Mary had for her Lord that she went early to the sepulchre. She couldn't stay away, even although she believed that Jesus was dead and she would never see him alive again. Uh, it says here that she went early. You know, sometimes we have to get up early to seek the Lord. And it's a great practice to have. And then, of course, she came and she saw that the stone had been removed. And, um, and you know, the stone was guarded. But it had been removed. And she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And we know that's the Apostle John, okay? Uh, and she says to them, they've taken away the Lord and we don't know where they've laid him. She thought it was some kind of conspiracy to remove Jesus' body um, for whatever purpose, whatever reason, but to, to hurt uh, his disciples, to, you know, it, it was some kind of plot to do this. And of course, Peter and, the, and John ran, and the, John outran Peter and so on. We know the story, we, we heard it read. There's a little interesting bit here where it says, when they came in and they saw the linen clothes lie, and the napkin, verse 7, that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Now, the people kind of speculate about this and um, the reasons for this. But think about this, folks. The most momentous event in history is the resurrection. Amen? And when Jesus is resurrected, when he's raised from the dead... He stops to wrap up the linen. Now you, you and I would be, oh wow, you know, we'd be bursting at the tomb, you know. But he takes the time. Why? Because God is a God of order. And he takes the time to fold this linen cloth. Now you, you and I would be jumping for joy, I'm raising the dead, glory, glory, glory. But he takes the time. Because he is a God of order, as I said. And he is now the risen Lord. And what it says to me is, Jesus is meticulous in every detail to do things right. Amen. That's a wonderful little illustration of his character, of his personality. He takes the time to do, you know, just, oh, wow. But he takes the time to fold it. Glorious. And then, of course, um, we know the, the rest of the story. And let's go on to verse 11. I don't really want to speak too much about this. I want to speak about what it means that Jesus is risen. Mary stood without at the sepulchre, weeping. She's crying, as you would expect. As she wept, 
She stooped down and looked in. She saw angels, two angels in white, sitting. One at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said, listen, <laughs> a really, uh, a question that you think, a, a pointless question, because the answers are very obvious. Why is she crying? Woman, why weepest thou? Now, anybody would be able to say why she was crying. Her Lord and her Saviour, or her, certainly her Lord at this point, was, was, had been crucified just a few days before, and now she, even the body, she, she, the woman is distraught. But the angels say, what are you crying for? Woman, why weepest thou? And she says, well, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. She's perplexed. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing behind her and knew not that it was Jesus. And now we know why the angel said, why weepest thou? Because Jesus is standing behind her. And folks, when Jesus is standing behind us, there's no reason for you and I to be distraught or weep. Amen. That's the time for joy. If Jesus is behind you, and he's behind us in every step we take in our lives. Why? Because he came out of that tomb. And death could no longer hold him. He's not subject to death. In fact, he was never subject to death. As he walked the earth, death could not kill him. I, I shared this in a message recently. Jesus had to lay down his life. They couldn't kill him. He had to lay down his life. This very apostle who wrote this, John, they couldn't kill him because he had that revelation. They tried to boil him in oil and kill him. They couldn't kill him. You see, Jesus could not die unless he laid down his life. Why? Because he is life. And he, he, he's not just full of life. He is life. And so he had to lay down his life. But then, of course, when he, he was resurrected, and so these angels are sitting looking at Mary, and Jesus is behind them, and they said, what are you crying for? All she had to do was turn round. And sometimes you and I, all we need to do is turn round and see that he's behind us. He is our rear, rear guard. So Jesus says to her, women, why weepest thou? Uh, whom seekest thou? And, you know, she's weeping because she thinks Jesus is gone. And she's seeking him. And, of course, Jesus, you know, we could actually almost sense here that Jesus has been a bit playful with her. Amen. You say, well, why would he do that in such a solemn moment? Because it was a moment also of great joy. Amen. Who are you looking for, Mary? And she thought he's the gardener. She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith, why did she think he was a gardener? Because she had already started processing that Jesus was dead and starting to adjust to get used to a life that was, you know, her life is overturned. The life she had known, the three and a bit years that Jesus walked the earth, that was gone. Jesus was now dead. So, She's not expecting to see Jesus. Sometimes you and I, folks, we fail to recognize Jesus in our circumstances, don't we? 
and we just think, oh, it's just a gardener, it's just, it's just these things happen. But she's supposing it would be the gardener says to him, if you have taken him away, let me know where he is. And then when Jesus said to her, Mary, she suddenly realised this is the master. And so, praise the Lord for that. And then he, later on he came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be unto you. You know, peace is so vital. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the atmosphere of heaven. And when Jesus said to us, Pray that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, as it is in heaven, he's really saying to them, Pray that what heaven is like will come here. So he's saying pray for peace. Pray for the atmosphere of peace. We pray every Sunday, every Lord's Day service, we pray for the leaders of our nation. And why do we pray for all men and we pray for the leaders? Why does the Bible tell us to do that? It says because the result of that is peace. And let me just say this to you, it's so simple. If there is not peace on the earth, that's because not enough believers are praying the right way. Amen? So peace is a big deal to, to him. He is the Prince of Peace. And if the first thing Jesus says to the disciples when he rose from the dead is, Peace be unto you. Folks, that's a big deal to him. And if you and I are not living in peace, then we need to make the adjustment, the, 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 the right adjustment in our lives and in our hearts because God's will for us is peace. And very often, and listen, we're all guilty of it is that we allow our hearts to be troubled. And what did Jesus say? Let not your hearts be troubled. So if your hearts aren't troubled, that's peace. Isn't it? So folks, let's not... It's, I know it's an easy thing to say from a pulpit. Oh, he, he, he could say that. He doesn't know what I've got to face or what I'm going home to or what I'm dealing with tomorrow. But folks, it's not me that's saying it. It's a command. Let not your hearts be troubled. Okay? And then he says to them here, peace be unto you. And he says, and then he says it again, and, and I've said this before, it's the double message. When, when God says something once, or Jesus says something once, it's mega important. But when he repeats himself in the same um, discourse, it's massively important. And he says it again, peace be unto you, as my Father has sent you, even so saying that you. So he's saying it twice. So it's so important for us, and then he says, he breathed on them and said to them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And so that's uh, him saying that now that he has been resurrected, the Spirit can come and indwell man. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And as we set, uh, sang in our first hymn, you ask me how I know he lives, because he lives in my heart. So he lives in you and me, and because he lives in us, we can face tomorrow. We can, we can face tomorrow and say, well, whatever happens, I choose to stay in peace because I choose to let not my heart be troubled. So what I want us to look at in the, the, the little time we have here this morning um, is I want to look at a couple of things because we're, we're celebrating the resurrection this morning but Jesus was resurrected from the dead because, excuse me, because he died on the cross 
And why did he die? There's, there's an aspect of this that I want us to look at this morning. And we'll look at it in Isaiah chapter 53. If you're following along, it doesn't matter if you don't have a Bible. And let's just read into it a little bit. It says, Who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. This is talking about Jesus in his passion dying on the cross for us, which has happened you know, a few days back. And now it's the resurrection. He's been resurrected from, from this horrible death of crucifixion a brutal death and his body was so his body was unrecognizable because he took upon him all our sin and all our sickness all our darkness all our shame all our poverty all our misery all our brokenness he took it upon verse 3 says he is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows we sing that song, don't we? The wonderful hymn. Man of Sorrows, what a name. For the, the man who came, he's a man of sorrows. And acquainted with grief. Jesus is acquainted with grief. You see, when you and I grieve about something, and it can be grieving about you know somebody drew you a dirty look, or it can be grief that someone has died that's so close to you. You know, grief is on a scale. But it's still horrible when you grieve, isn't it? You can grieve because people were nasty to you, or you can grieve because you've lost loved ones. But grief is a horrible thing. But, and you say, well, you know, who understands my pain? Who understands my grief? Folks, Jesus is the one who understands. He was acquainted with grief, a man of sorrows. And we, we hid, as it were, our faces from him, he was despised and we esteemed him not. What that means is, on the cross, you would, never, you would not have looked at Jesus because it was such a horrible sight to behold. Because he took upon him every sin of every person ever in history. Then it says these wonderful words. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Tells us here Jesus bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, Bible scholars among you, this is where I want to go with this in the little time we have this morning. Uh, you, you will discover as you study this, and there's a wonderful book um, about bodily healing and the atonement that you can get. Um, and it goes into this in great detail. But those, the word um, griefs here, can mean and does mean in Hebrew sicknesses. And the word sorrows means pains. Okay? So we can read it this way, and some translations have it this way. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Now, the Hebrew allows for this because the Hebrew allows for the spectrum to say that it can mean spiritual or mental or emotional sicknesses and pains, but also very much it can mean bodily sicknesses and bodily pains. So that we can say, and that's what I feel the Holy Spirit wants to say to us this morning in this message, is that 
Yes, our sins were dealt with on the cross, and we, we've been speaking a lot about that in our ongoing series on the blood of the, the Lamb, and we'll be coming back to that. Uh, I was going to preach it this morning, but felt the Lord wanted to emphasize this. And so our sins are dealt with, but also, folks, our sicknesses are part of the atonement of the Lord Jesus. And we'll look at that as we go on in our study in the blood. He has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains on the cross. And what that means is, is that you and I can believe him. We can believe him for divine healing. And it's on a covenantal basis. It's not just, does God feel like healing me today? Is he in the mood to heal me? Does he like me enough to heal me? No, no, no. It's not based on that. It's not based on him. It's not based on God is sometimes capricious and he gets up in a bad mood and he looks at you and says, not today, honey. That's not, that's not the Lord we serve. He puts it into covenantal terms because it's in the covenant which is in his blood. He, he, his body was broken and his blood was shed to deal with everything. Sin, sickness, darkness, everything. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says this, who his own self bear our sins, there it is, our sins are dealt with, in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness. When did we become dead to sins? When sin was placed upon him. Do you know that when Jesus bore your sin, that made you dead to sin. You're no longer classified as a sinner in, in terms of your legal position before God. You are now his righteousness. You say, but, but you don't know what I do. You don't know what I've done. Well, that doesn't matter. I'm talking about the legal position. It says that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. But look at this little phrase, by whose stripes... Or whose wounds you were healed. And I want to say this to you. This, is, this phrase is also in Isaiah. That little verse, uh, word, sorry, stripes. It's in Isaiah 53. And it's in First Peter chapter 2. So, and you need to understand this. In both the Hebrew and the Greek, that word that we translate as stripes, it means wounds. It actually means wounds that blood comes forth. Okay? It can mean two things. It can mean a bruise, because... When you bruise, the blood has come forth, or it can mean a cut, something that opens up the skin, and blood comes forth. So when Jesus went to the whipping post, he was lashed, and his body was a, was a suppurating mess. His back was torn apart by these horrible Roman uh, instruments of torture, with bits of bone, and metal, and glass in it, and they lashed his body. That's when his stripes healed you. And folks, in the Hebrew and the Greek, the word stripes is actually singular. It's not wounds, it means wound. And what it means is, is that Jesus' body was so whipped by the Roman torturer that you couldn't distinguish between the stripes. His whole body was one mess, one mass of blood and pus, whatever it is, that was coming out. By his wounds you were healed. And so, Jesus died for your healing as much as he died for your sins. And I want to just share this with you, if you turn to Romans chapter 8, because the Lord was speaking to me about resurrection power. You think about what kind of power did it take 
to raise a dead man. You know, um, when you think about it, if if you've ever seen that film Frankenstein, um, and the Dr. Frankenstein with the monster, he's trying to raise somebody from the dead. And of course he sews all bits of different bodies onto this Frankenstein monster. But it, it shows you that he has to generate the power. So he sets up this thing that captures lightning and all that. You know, what, what, the, what the film is telling is it's a nonsense, of course. But it's saying it takes great power to raise someone from the dead. Doesn't it? Could you, do you have that power? You know, you, let me just tell you this. Electricity won't do it. And I'll tell you something else. Neither will nuclear power. You can have every reactor and nuclear power station in the world all joined together and it will not raise anybody from the dead. And especially somebody who's a mess like Jesus was, his body. And especially somebody who has borne the sins of the entire world upon him. Because that's deader than dead. If sin is death and Jesus was made sin for you and I, that means he was made to be as dead as it's possible to be. So he's going to have to take some amount of power to raise any dead person, let alone somebody who took all that upon him and was marred beyond, beyond recognition. But it tells us that the power of God raised Jesus from the dead. Romans chapter 8 and verse um, 10 says this, If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Look at this next verse. This is what I want to show you this morning. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. That's talking about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. He's saying that the Holy Ghost is what, you know, nobody else had the power. The Holy Ghost, of course, is God himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. And it took the Holy Spirit to raise Jesus from the dead. No man could have done it. No amount of generated power could have done it. It had to be God himself. And the Holy Spirit is the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead. If that spirit that raised up Jesus... Let me just think of the amount of power that would have taken. And it says, if that spirit raised, that raised up Jesus dwell in you. And does he dwell in you? Yes, he does. Jesus just said, receive you the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in us. The power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. It says, if that spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. And that word quicken means to make alive or to pour in life. And what he's saying here is this, the very power, the resurrection power, the unlimited, the infinite power of God that was in the Holy Spirit raising Jesus up from the dead, he says, that's in you. He says, and it's pouring life into you. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And what it means is, is that our bodies... He's in our bodies and constantly pouring out that life. He said, well, I'm not feeling it. Folks, it's not about feelings, it's about faith. We have to receive this by faith and say, the Spirit of God 
the one that raised Jesus from the dead, the power, the resurrection power is in me now and he is quickening, he's given life to my mortal body. And that's, let me tell you, that's, that's, that's what David was believing for. And then he says, well, they told me, they told me that I'd had a heart attack. They did the wee things and they, they gave him an angiogram. And he says, now they're saying they can't detect that heart attack. Why? <coughs> I believe it's because, and I know David knows this verse and I know he believes this, that the Spirit of God was quickening his mortal body. Now that's not saying that you're going to be immortal because it says you're mortal body. Sooner or later, you're going to go. But you don't need to go riddled with sickness. You can just go because it's your time. And I want to encourage everybody in the room this morning to say, to understand that, we, yeah, of course, and we talk about it every week, and we should because we're a... We're a evangelical, gospel, Bible-believing church, we talk about that our sins are forgiven, they're remitted, they're cleansed, but, but we, we maybe not speaking as much as we should about that healing part of it. And so we need to start believing. One of the reasons the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, folks, is to pour the resurrection life of Jesus into us. It's not just we celebrate it once a year, it's not a historical event. 2,000 years ago, the stone was rolled away. All the stuff, it's great to, to have all that. But if it isn't real in our lives every second of every day, then we've missed the point of the resurrection. Because it's not about a once a year. It's not like Christmas. It's not about Easter eggs. It's not about Easter bunnies and all that. Um, but uh, uh, you know, let me just say this to you. I'll be hunting for my eggs after the service, amen. And if, if, if I see you going for my one, I'll nudge you at the way, you know. Folks, it's not about, it's not about the ritual of it. It's not about the event, the festival, the, the, the church calendar. It's about this, the Holy Spirit coming to live in us to quicken our mortal bodies because he dwells in us. Just going to read a couple of things out of this book. I, I, I was saved and came into the apostolic church. This guy's an apostolic church pastor. He wrote this wonderful book. And, and he's, he calls the resurrection, I like this, the cosmic comeback. That's wonderful, isn't it? The Christian doctrine of the resurrection of Christ. And he's quoting guys here. C.S. Lewis said this, the miracles of reversal all belong to the new creation. It is a miracle of, of reversal when the dead are raised. <coughs> Old nature knows nothing of this process. It involves playing backward a film which we have always seen played forward. The one or two instances of it in the Gospels are early flowers, what we call spring flowers, because they are prophetic, although they really bloom while it's still winter. Creation, this is a guy called M. Gold, I don't know who he is, but anyway. Creation is the victory of omnipotence over nothingness. The resurrection is the victory of the same power over death, which is the thing most like to nothingness that is known to us. You know, when someone's dead, that's it, they're gone. Or especially the body. It rots away. But folks, how can, how can you reverse that condition? Well, God reversed it in Jesus, as we've seen, and it took great power. And the most wonderful thing about this that I want to share with you I have done, and we'll leave it there. 
That power now lives in you. That person now lives in you, the Holy Spirit. To do the same thing in you, to pour in resurrection life. So that if you get sick, you can be healed. Amen? Isn't it wonderful? Amen? And there are instances of people being raised from the dead, but we'll leave it there. Our time is out just now. So the Lord bless you on this resurrection day and allow his resurrection power to flow in you and through you to others. In Jesus' name, amen.